0: Hello! I assume that the the video already rolled, so ah, hi I'm Dr. Deb and I am so excited and thrilled for you to join this course. This is um, my favorite. So let me just give you a little background. My name is Dr. Deb Kennedy and for the last four years I've been working with a dozen chefs and over 50 nutrition experts from around the world to create what we call culinary competencies. So what that really means is that in order to follow nutrition guidelines, things we all roll our eyes at, eat more fruits, eat more vegetables, eat more whole grains, instead of focusing on that, how about we teach people how to cook food that is so delicious that they want to eat those foods. So in order to eat more vegetables, what is it that you need to learn to do in the kitchen or at the store? So, um, That's what the Food Coach Academy is all about, and there are 13 courses in the Food Coach Academy, and we are launching October 2nd next week, so excited, uh, Taste and Flavor, and that's what you're joining me here today, is to find about taste and flavor and why it's so incredibly important when following a healthy diet. You're going to learn things that you didn't know you didn't know. So for instance, I'm a PhD in nutrition, have been for a while, started cooking at the age of four, was a chef in Canada and the U.S., And if you asked me if taste and flavor were the same thing, I would have said, pretty much not at all. And you're going to understand why that is. So I am going to just really talk for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes about the basics so that you can get a grounding of what we're going to talk about in the Taste and Flavor course which has an introductory rate of 2.99, which is fabulous because it's 35% off. And you want to grab that now. And what we're going to do is we're going to teach you in that course how you discover different types of tasters. There are different types of tasters. No two of us taste the same. So that's really important to know. So I'm going to go into what taste and flavor is, why they differ, what the different types of tasters are, and how you can interact with those different types of tasters. And when someone says they like or dislike a food, what are they really saying? And then we're gonna go through the short and the long game of changing someone's taste buds. So let's begin with the difference between taste and flavor. So taste has a very important role in the development and the survival of the human species. It is a nutrient detector. So right now, Today, in 2023, we have five basic tastes. That's gonna change because there's about six in the queue. But for right now, we have sugar, sweet, salty, sour, and umami. Now, when somebody comes across something sweet, their brain, and this is what they're thinking about way in the caveman days, their brain goes, oh, that's a good source of calories. So we're gonna eat something that's sweet. When they come across something that's bitter, Even today, our brains go, ooh, that's toxic, I'm not gonna really eat it. And that's the number one reason why it's really difficult for people to follow a whole food, plant-based diet, is because they have this aversion to that bitter taste, which you're gonna learn how to get over that, both the long and the short game. Sour meant that something was off. So we tend to, as babies, reject sour, reject bitter. Something salty meant it was a good source of minerals, and umami meant that there was protein involved. So that is what taste is a nutrient detector before something enters the body. Is it safe or is it not safe? Now let's get into flavor. I love the saying, and I'm not going to remember who said it, but basically flavor is not in the food. And I know this is going to blow your mind a little bit because it's not in the food. It actually involves at least five cranial nerves, and a whole bunch of other things to create in your brain this sense of flavor. So flavor is made up of taste, aroma, and something called the somatosensory. So that's your texture, your pain, your temperature. So if I was to ask you, what makes up the biggest part of taste? I mean, flavor. 80% is made up of aroma. It's what you smell. So while we have about... 10,000 papillae on our tongue. Those are the bumps. Within each, there's two to 7,000 taste buds, but we taste five tastes. It would be pretty boring if that's all there was five tastes. But in the back of our palate above, we actually breathe two ways one through our nose and one through the back of our throat. And on the top of that palate is this itty bitty little bitty. It's called the olfactory epithelium. It's two centimeters by two centimeters, and that's my favorite part of the whole entire body because in it, there's six trillion odor receptors. And that is where the taste mixes with the the odor of the food, and you get more than hundreds and hundreds of thousands of flavors that are possible. and That's why we don't get flavor fatigue because we combine the aroma with the taste so you can understand why if someone has trouble smelling why they'd have trouble eating and that is because the aroma makes up a huge part of flavor now as i said in the beginning no two of us taste the same no two of us and this is really important especially if you have kids, right? Or you're feeding other people and you're just thinking they're making it up, right? It doesn't taste bitter to you. So why is Junior saying, oh my God, he's spitting it out thinking you're trying to kill him, right? It's not because of that. Junior's probably a super taster. So we have different types of tasters. The first one is a super taster. And that doesn't mean you're better than everybody else. It has nothing to do with that. I know super's in the word, but a super taster means that you can taste prop, which is propyl thiouracil. It's a chemical. And it just means that when you try that, you either don't taste much, taste a little bit bitter, or it's so bitter that you want to spit it out of your mouth, right? Now, a super taster is somebody who tastes that very strongly. Now, you don't need to use prop to tell if somebody in your family is a super taster. Give them a glass of tonic water. I do this all the time. In my... Many talks, it's like a third of the room thinks I'm trying to kill them. A third of them are like, oh, it's not too bad. And a third of them are like, it just tastes like water. And what we know with the bitter taste, and I'm gonna go back to healthy diet now, because that's what this talk's all about, that I said the bitter taste is really what makes a lot of people avoid vegetables. And that's because vegetables have these phytochemicals in them that are bitter. Now you can do several things. You can breed vegetables that aren't bitter anymore. Let's follow that logic here. That doesn't make sense. So you're going to breed them. So they don't have as many phytochemicals, but phytochemicals are the superpowers and that's what you need. Nope. We're not going to do that. Right. But what we do know is there's some culinary techniques. So with that tonic water experiment, if I asked somebody to add a little bit of salt to their tonic water, it would bring down that bitterness significantly. So bitter, plus salty, equals sweet. And those are some of the things you're going to learn about in the Taste and Flavor course. The three other kinds of tasters, we have what's called a sweet-liking status. And some of us are super likers, some of us are okay with sugar, and some of us don't really like sugar too much. What we do know is that those that are very sensitive to sugar eat less of it because they don't need as much to get that perception of sweetness. And those that are hyposensitive to sugar, they, they need a lot of it will tend to eat a lot more sugar. And we actually see the same thing happening with fat likers. Yep. They're called fat likers. And I know someone in this queue actually asked about this fat addictive. I'm getting to that, but it is. Um, So there's the fat, fat hyposensitive and hypersensitive and the same thing applies. Those that don't taste fat very well, they're hypo sensitive to fat, are gonna eat a lot more of it and they're shown to have a higher BMI. Those that are very hypersensitive to fat tend to eat a healthier diet and have a lower BMI. And then the last one is, are you a thermal taster? So I actually have an ice cube here to make my point. If you take an ice cube, (coughs) excuse me, And you roll around in your tongue and you can taste sugar, sweet, sour, salty on your tongue. You are a thermal taster. And what that means is that you're more sensitive to tastes. Completely different than being a super taster, a thermal taster is different. So if you're feeding a picky eater, that's a good thing to know. If they're a thermal taster, what you can do with bitter taste is you can lower the temperature or increase the temperature to lower than the amount of bitterness that comes through. Or here's the trick, you can drink cold water right before or hot water right before you eat your vegetables. A tip, you're welcome. So we have these four kind of tasters, we know the difference between taste and flavor. And now we're going to learn about taste preferences. A lot of people say, I- I'm born I was born hating this or loving that. Um, and that's not necessarily true you're actually born preferring sweet, avoiding bitter, rejecting sour. Umami's kind of, they're not really sure. And, but with salt around three months of age is when you, te- you develop your ability to taste salt. And when babies are given that at three months, they tend to then like the salty water better than the plain water. So you're, you come in learning these with these innate taste preferences. But as I always say, it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. There's a lot of things you can do for somebody who dislikes bitter or whole grains or whole vegetables, a plant-based diet to a place where they actually like it. And in order to tell you how to do that, I want to spend a minute on what is liking so in my background, I worked with kids for over 25 years, right? And a lot of the times they would say, I don't like that. And especially if mom or dad was around, they knew how to get to mom or dad. And they would say, I don't like this. Or And mom would say, well, he liked it last week and he doesn't like it this week. I don't get what's going on. So I always say, why don't we think about taste of liking on a scale of one to 10? one is i really hate it you make me you make me eat cream corn is coming right back at you true to 10 i love it so much those are, that would be candy for me you don't have to push it i'm gonna like it so on the scale of one to ten there's this sweet spot between like three and seven you don't have to push foods that people like on a seven eight nine ten scale right you do however need to work somebody up from like a three four five six With a zero and one, leave it alone. Do not zero one, two, that's called a taste aversion. And you wanna stay away from those. You never, ever, ever push those foods. It can take us a dozen times to learn to like a new food. You can, you can train your taste buds to learn to like a new food. They um, refresh themselves every seven to 10 days. It takes sometimes 12, sometimes 15 exposures to learn to like a new food. However, it takes one exposure, just one, And many of you have probably experienced this where you will eat something and either right after or 24 hours after you're up chucking it and you don't feel well, you are not going near that food again, no matter what anybody says. And that's okay. It's okay. I don't eat cream corn because I can eat, and I don't even like saying the word I can eat a ton of other vegetables. So I don't need anybody to work with me on my cream corn. I'm totally fine. Thank you very much. So with learning to, change someone's taste buds. We have the short game and we have the long game. The short game is the culinary techniques. So like I alluded to, you can work taste on taste. Bitter, salty equals sweet, right? Salty enhancing certain flavors, sweet enhancing certain flavors. And in the course, we go through what those combinations are to change the way the food tastes. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to use broccoli again, because a lot of people have a problem with broccoli. It's super good for you though. So if I give you just raw broccoli, not many of us like it that way, unless it's dunked in some creamy sauce. But if I steamed it and gave it to you, you probably still wouldn't like it. If I added soy sauce on it, you would like it more than you dislike it. Now, what if I toss that broccoli in some olive oil, with some other vegetables and I roasted it in the oven. Well, what's going to happen is it's going to caramelize. It's going to bring out the sweetness and you are going to be like, where have you been my whole life? Roasted broccoli. I love you. So there are culinary techniques to get you to move yourself or clients along that spectrum. The long game is really about, and I knew someone was going to ring the darn doorbell, but I'm going to ignore them. So please, the long game is really about, um, repeat exposure over time. I'm gonna go on a tangent for a second. I've spent the last 20 years studying how people learn and how they make behavior change. So how they learn, when you look at schools, kids learn in different segments. I call them modules. So they're learning spelling at a totally different time than they are learning history or math. And each year they go up a level. So if I told you, eat a healthy diet. Guess what? I'm asking you to do over 160 different things at once. And I know you make about 220 food decisions a day. Well, you're going to implode and hide under the couch. Who wouldn't? But if I said, okay, this month, all I want you to work on is you you choose. Is it going to be vegetables, fruit, grain, salt, intake, sodium, beverage, dairy, protein, fats, and oils? You get to pick just one. And I've done experiments with this. And boy, oh boy, does it work. Because what it does is ask you to focus on just one thing at a time. And the food coaches in the Food Coach Academy are going to learn how to do this really well. So when you're working with somebody else or yourself, just pick one topic and give yourself a month to work on it. I have kids that visibly shake when they see a new fruit to actually eating two fruit a month. I mean a week. Over a month's time because you get to play with your food. And we all love playing with our food. You get to touch it, smell it, try it, try different recipes. If you eat no vegetables right now, well, your first week, how about looking at recipes and maybe touching some vegetables and maybe trying a bite of one. And you work your way up to actually eating a serving of vegetables. And then you gain such a sense of accomplishment. And I can tell you this, All right, ears on. After four years, 50 plus experts going through about 3000 references, I can tell you this for all certainty in the culinary medicine textbook process. Every little step you make makes a difference in your body. You don't need to totally change your whole entire diet to get healthy, it's a journey. Each step you take is gonna have a nice effect, a healthy effect in your body and you're going down the path towards health. So it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And I think in our environment, we always think it has to be an all or nothing. So that is my fast talking New York way of giving you background on taste and flavor. And the other courses, each one of those modules I discuss is a different course. You're gonna learn all about vegetables. You're gonna learn all about fruit. You're gonna learn all about grains. And it's 13 courses, and it's going to change your life, and it's going to help you change the life of those that really need to eat a more healthy diet. So, with that, I've noticed that there are a bunch of questions coming in, and I am going to start answering them. I have my little pad and paper in case I don't know the answer to something, and I will get back to you. All right, Irene, can you discuss umami, what it is, and how to add it to dishes? Absolutely. So umami was the last of the fifth taste to be added as a basic taste. And umami means savory. It's really like meats are really savory, but so are tomatoes and mushrooms and fermented foods. To be technical, umami means that you have either glutamate and oscillate or something called glycate in the food, which then attaches to the receptor. You don't need to know any of that. All you need to know is there's something, mostly glutamate, that attaches to the taste cells that brings on this umami flavor. And boy, does it increase the palatability of your food. So if you're a vegetarian and you want umami flavor, peas, onions, tomatoes, um, mushrooms, my favorite mushrooms, um, are a way to add umami to different dishes. If you're not a vegetarian. You can add meat. You can add fish, chicken, beef, pork, whatever you like. In little bitty amounts. You don't need a lot of the animal-based proteins. But a little bit is going to add a ton of flavor. Now, I'm going to tell you who umami's best friend is. It's kukami. And I'm not making this up. This isn't some um, comic strip from another country. Kukami, their thinking is another basic taste, but it's really not. It's a companion to umami. And kukami is the mouthfeel. It's like this fullness. And kukami is in things like shrimp paste or soy sauce and fermented foods and alcohol. So when you pair those two together, boy, oh boy, do you get an explosion of flavor in your food. So Irene, I hope you try some of these things and let me know how they go. All right. Is the taste and flavor course the first in a series of Food Coach Academy? And how many series involved in the entire Food Coach Academy course curriculum? Really good question. And I get this question a lot, because I intentionally made this course, the Food Coach Academy. And I'll tell you why I made it in a second. And I made the Food Coach Academy, because I knew what was missing in the nutrition world, having been a nutritionist for over 35 years, is that we're not teaching the skills. So what if I just explained to you and had you read about driving a car and expected you to leave it at that. And then I get mad at you because you don't know how to drive the car. Well, that's what we're doing. We're telling our clients, whomever we are, some of us, not all of us, you need to eat more fruits, you need to eat more vegetables. How come your weight's not budging? All of that kind of thing. And we haven't taught them how to change and make the skill-based. And so that's what Food Coach Academy is all about. There are three basic courses there is taste and flavor that's launching october 2nd and then we have the kitchens the kitchens is everything from how to set up your own kitchen into and you take it again in a modular approach you start with your fridge and then you go to your freezer your countertop and your pantry and you totally redo your kitchen you don't throw anything out you just kind of use up what you have and then you add these healthy ingredients in Also, you're going to learn how to build different types of teaching kitchens. And this is what I love. People are really inventive. You have the person with the pickup truck that has a garden bed in the back and he's giving out vegetables, or you have a pod that is like one of these containers that all of a sudden is a teaching kitchen, or you have these built-in teaching kitchens at hospitals. And so I'm going to go through in the, in the kitchens course, how to build a community teaching kitchen an elementary school teaching kitchen and a a college teaching kitchen and on and on and on. So that's one of them. So we've got taste and flavor kitchens. And the third one in the basics is the basics of eating and coaching. So even if you're a nutritionist and you know enough about nutrition, this is really a focus on eating and eating behaviors. And we focus on motivational interviewing because. That is a game changer. In Western medicine, I have seen over, and one of my specialties is I'm certified in value based medicine. So I've been watching what's happening to our medical system implode. And what we're seeing the doctors used to do, the nurses are now doing, and now we have health coaches. And I'm like, we need food coaches because they really are the preventative health experts out there. They're not recommending and they're not acting as nutritionists they are purely teaching someone how to cook shop and plan their menu then there are 10 food courses we've got fruit vegetable grains fats and protein we've got protein animal source protein plant source dairy beverages sodium and salt each one is a super duper big dive off the diving board into how do you define it? How are we doing? Um, Are there medical interactions? Is there medicine that you can't take when you're eating certain vegetables or fruit? Yeah, there are. Um, And what do you need to learn to do in the kitchen in order to eat more vegetables, eat more fruit, eat more whole grains, et cetera, et cetera. So that is what the Food Coach Academy is all about. It's coming early in 2024. And I couldn't be more excited because like, really, I'm gonna get really real right now. I've had three cancers in my life. I was given two weeks to live in my twenties and I know the power of food and I wanna share it with everybody because you have the power to change your life and you have the power to change your community and the planet by your food choices. My dream is to create a tribe of food coaches, I call them food warriors, who are out there getting to those that are underserved and getting them back to their roots, their cultural heritage, bringing back cooking. I think that's going to heal the world in a way that we really need right now. Good question, Teresa. All right. Rick, is there a book or website you'd recommend to learn and understand about spices? Yes, the Food Coach Academy. In the basics, we talk about that. About a website or a book, there are a couple of things I, you know, I spent some time like hurrying. Oh my gosh, I got to give him a list. I don't have one to be honest with you. There are so many and depending on your taste palette, what do you prefer? Do you prefer vegetarian type meals? Do you prefer Asian, Middle Eastern, African, all of that? And just kind of start with, let your taste buds lead the way and kind of start there. You will learn in the basics how to bring spices back to life by toasting them and blooming them and how to build your own spice blends. Spices are definitely one of the biggest tools food coaches going to learn to increase the flavor of a food. Because if we can't make healthy food as flavorful as we can buy in a store, those hyper-palatable foods that provide so much taste and flavor that we end up getting addicted to it, but we don't get any of the nutrients, then we're not really doing anything. So spices are essential. So thank you for asking that, Rick. Karen, do human beings naturally crave fat or is it learned taste after having it? So fat is one of those half a dozen, maybe it's a basic taste, maybe it's not, that's coming up and there's a lot of research on it. So we don't really know if it's a... If it's a learned response, note, I'm going there in a minute. I'll say that. So what we do know is that there are people that don't taste fat as well, right? They're hyposensitive and they're going to want more of it. So we do know that piece. We do know that when you look at the data on food addiction out of the Yale, um, they did a food addiction scale. And they looked and saw that 15% of people actually have a food addiction and what they're addicted to is sweet and fat. Um, And that these foods, these food ingredients actually release dopamine and opioids in our brain and can cause addiction. I think what we're really addicted to is these hyper palatable foods. They're also known as hyper processed. So when you take a food and you process it to the point where you can cock your walls with it, then you've gone a little too far. And we've got these scientists knowing where this bliss point is. So they know if they put this much salt, you'll eat this much, but if they add sugar to the salt, you're gonna eat this much. So they're knowing how to play with your taste buds. And what I can tell you is that even if you're used to eating a lot of hyper palatable foods, when you come off of them, just like you're coming off of something else that you're addicted to, you're going to go through a period that's not comfortable. Then you're going to reset your taste buds, and you've got a new chance. Whether that works the first time, second, or third, it is possible to learn to like a, to learn and prefer a diet that's lower in fat and not hyper palatable. And again, that's the reason for the Food Coach Academy, Gabriella. Can you suggest how to build flavor in a salt-free diet? Maybe some sources of recipe for a salt-free diet. It's kind of hard to have a salt-free diet, but a low sodium diet. Absolutely. And if you don't know about the DASH diet, um, that is something that you might want to look up. Um, D-A-S-H, but there are, hmm. and also get Samin Nasrat's book, sugar, salt, fat, and heat, right? The number one, if I was to ask you all, I wish we had a poll. I'm going to ask for polls next time. If I asked you where you think you got most of your salt from, I think a lot of us would say the salt shaker. I add too much salt to my food. We're back to the hyperpalatable foods, people. You get most of your sodium, we do in America, from having food that is served out of the home. It's When you buy a rotisserie chicken, it has a ton of salt added to it. When you buy a something in the supermarket that's a pre-cooked meal, it's going to have more salt in it than you would add at home. And the fast food restaurants and restaurants are going to add a lot of salt because it's a really cheap way to add flavor. But you're going to be experts in taste and flavor. Absolutely. And you're going to learn how to add salt at different points in time so you don't have to add a lot of it. Here's a really cool fact. If you wait to the end of cooking a meal to add your salt, you're going to need a lot of it versus if you added it throughout the cooking process. So flavor, if you wanna go super duper and you don't even wanna add any salt to your cooking, we have other culinary superheroes. The addition of acid, and I know someone has a question on acid here. So when you add acid like citrus, juice, or vinegar or alcohol to a dish, it just brightens the whole dish up. So acid is number one. Number two, your cooking techniques. I had talked about with broccoli that if you roast broccoli, it caramelizes and it brings out a whole different flavor. So choosing different cooking techniques can also improve the flavor of a meal. The third one is how to play taste against taste to influence the meal. And there are so many external factors that help to influence someone's liking of a meal And um, I'm not going to cover them here, but there's a lot of them from um, the size of a, or the shape of a plate, the color of a food, um, sonic seasoning, things like that, thermal gustation. uh, Yeah, it's just um, incredible. So there are definitely culinary techniques to add a super amount of flavor to your food. Thank you. When can you, what can you substitute for garlic and onions when you can't have those flavor enhancements? Thank you, Dr. Deb. Janet, you are probably on a FODMAP diet and blessings to you. That's a really hard one to follow. So it really depends on what it is you're making. That's a really big question, but there are definitely other flavor enhancers, the spices. Um, I don't know what you would, because like, if you can't have onions, but can you have leeks? Can you have scallions? Can you, if you can't have any kind of onion, um, then you just leave that out and you add other flavorful ingredients. And it's going to be, you're going to keep trying things out until you find what it is you're actually looking for. So if you gave me a sense of, if I was to make a stew and I couldn't use garlic and I couldn't use onions, then I am going to make my mirror, mirror, like a meerkat. It's not like that. Mirepoix, right? Which is your, Your celery, your carrots, and your onions, I would leave out the onions, but I'd still have the carrots and the celery in there. And I would bloom some spices, probably rosemary, maybe some thyme, really give it this incredible flavor. I'm going to add some umami ingredients to that. So maybe I'll add a little soy sauce or Worcestershire sauce, um, mushrooms, saute some mushrooms in there. That's going to really give it a pop. And maybe some tomatoes to enhance that flavor, really bringing the umami out. So maybe you can think umami um, instead. Thank you, Janet. How do I handle eating out with friends and restaurants? Yeah, Mary, that's a good question. Well, what science tells us is that when we eat with others, we eat more and we tend to eat things we might not have eaten. So there's both positives and negatives. I like it for kids, right? When they, when they see their their friends may be eating something healthy they're going to try it more. So when I eat out with friends and at restaurants I go with a plan in mind knowing that the amount of food they're going to serve unless you go to a super high-end restaurant and you get something this big you're going to get something that's probably two or three servings. So I will look at the plate and I will know already I'm only going to eat half of it. The other half is going to come home with me and I'm going to make that as a base for something else. So let me give you an example. When I eat out, whether that's like um, a stir fry at a Chinese restaurant, I'm going to bring back some of that because I can make, and I'm not kidding you, I can bring back a little bit of that stir fry and I can make a whole meal for four people based on that flavor that I brought home with me. Um, So you can Some people do this. I wouldn't be comfortable with saying, "Can you can you put half in a doggy bag and then serve me the other half?" That's going to draw attention to myself. I don't like that. But if you're comfortable with it, you go ahead and you do that. Um, I would focus on drinking as well. Maybe doing spritzers instead of wine. And don't go near the bread. If something comes free of charge and you can get all you can eat, don't eat it. It just means it's empty calories. So stay away from the bread. Give yourself. Give yourself one thing new to do when you go out. So instead of like thinking about, oh, I gotta do all these things. Think, okay, this time I go out with my friends, I'm not gonna eat the bread. Or this time I go out with my friends, I'm only gonna eat half and take one small step at a time and you'll do well and have fun with your friends. We all need friends and have fun with our friends. All right. What's an underrated spice that no one really uses. That's a good one star anise maybe. My um my house has a it's like a duplex and the other side is a woman from Vietnam and oh my god she's got me addicted to star anise. She makes pho which is a soup that just brings it to a whole nother level. Now, if you ask somebody who has a different cultural background, they might say something that you eat all the time. So, I would say get yourself either a really good book. I know someone asked about the spices before, but there's like the Spice Bible and the Flavor Bible and Odo longelli I don't pronounce his name right, and I never will. He has a ton of spices, and I would, every every week or maybe once a month, I would get something out of the library on a totally different out there. I want to go to Lebanon over the weekend, and I am going to certainly have spices I've never seen in my life, and I would try something that way. Take a trip. Take a trip in your house. All right. Julia, can you, can I address ma anos- ma. guess? Well, that's a loss of smell. I can't pronounce it. Sorry, people. Now it affects flavor immensely. We had talked about flavor is made up of 80% aroma. And because it's made up of 80% aroma, those that have anosmia will, I'm going to keep saying it till I get it right. Um, they will have a really hard time eating and it's a tough one. So there's taste. They'll be able to taste. They won't be able to smell, but they also have those somatosens- somatosensory, right? So I'm pointing to my jaw because that is the crunch. That's the, the chilies, the, the, the fake uh, the fake coolness. So mint, spearmint, different kinds of mint have this fake coolness to it. If you can't smell, you can still get that sense of of fake coolness or fake heat, like from the chilies. You can add some pungent or astringent ingredients as well. You're gonna focus more on the somatosensory input. You're gonna focus on the textures, the chilies, the the false sense of cool and, and hot and all of that to try and spice up, literally, the meal. Um, and your expectations shouldn't be set very high and hopefully it's not forever. I know a lot of people lost their sense of smell during COVID. Um, some of us think it has to do with iron deficiency or zinc deficiency. So just throwing that out there. I don't know why, um, you're asking the question, but I always love to throw out a COVID tip, um, for those and, um, don't overdo it on the zinc. It can be toxic. Um. But making sure you have enough um, iron and zinc can, see, can help there. And just stay with it. I know with chemotherapy, I mean, I was there myself. Everything tasted metallic. It is, the, it is what it is for a while. And all I survived on during that time was Pepperidge Farm goldfish and tissue roll lollipops. I did. They were my two food groups. And then afterwards, boy, I um, really came around. I mean, I ate the healthy food, but there's times where we can't. And that's okay. All right. Tracy P. Are there culinary techniques that can strengthen our ability to smell and taste as we age? Very good question, Tracy. Yes. She's bringing up the fact that as we age, our sense of smell decreases, which then affects flavor. Um, And I don't know of anything that can prohibit that change outside of just regular healthy aging which would include exercising being hydrated um, continuing to eat food adding spices to your food and making sure that there's nothing wrong there a lot of medications affect our ability to taste so some of that um, maybe you can ask your doctor if there's a different form of medicine that doesn't affect that but again it really is the better we keep ourselves as we age, the more we love ourselves and nourish ourselves, true nourishment, which is what food is all about. It's not about the hyper palatable foods. It's not about the processed foods. It's really about honoring and loving ourselves enough to give us the true, true foods, Um, whole foods is the way we live to age well. And that's the best I know in my 40 years as a practitioner. All right, Terry, I was waiting for your question to come up. Um, I sometimes overdo the adding of citrus. Would it be better to not zest, but rely on the juice? It depends. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm giving you some homework, Terry. So you're going to make a fruit salad and you're going to add just a little bit of, you're going to cut it and put it in two bowls. And you're going to add a little bit of either lime or lemon juice. Just a little bit, start a little. You don't have to do a lot. If you're adding too much, you can always add more. You cannot add less. And then on the other one, add a little zest. Because to me, for my palate, they're two separate different things. When I add juice, lemon or lime juice to my fruit salad, it improves the taste. But when I add zest, it does something to balance it. It does something completely different than it would if I replaced the zest for the juice. For me, there's, Well, I mean, there's both the texture thing, but there's also, it registers differently on my tongue. So experiment with that yourself and see how that helps. All right. Hope that helps. Deborah B. Hello, Deborah. Another Deborah. The most difficult meal of my day is breakfast. I have made different tofu scramble. I would like some ideas for quinoa for breakfast. Did you know that are i'm going to answer your question deborah did you know that our ability to handle textures um gets better throughout the day and so that in the morning is when we want just something simple texture wise something that's not hard work we just want simple right um especially with kids so the tofu scramble that's nice and soft and um and you, I mean, the tofu dish could also be super good. So congratulations for asking about tofu. Cause I mean, for quinoa, cause I love quinoa. It's one of those alternative grains. It's an ancient grain. It has a lot of protein in it and it's gluten-free. So with quinoa, it has on it saponins. So what you want to make sure is that you rinse your quinoa really well because it gets kind of soapy, right? You want to rinse the saponin off. And then you pat it dry, and then you're going to toast your quinoa, right? And the toasted quinoa, and you got to be careful, you either can toast it dry with a little bit of oil, it can burn really quickly. So you want to keep your eye on it. And either you toast it and then make a, and then you add water and you create like a porridge out of the quinoa, or you could just use the toasted quinoa to add to something like yogurt. Um, That would give you a nice crunch on the yogurt with some fruit when I am building a breakfast and again, my modular approach is all it's, it goes with my modular approach. There's the building, right? So for breakfast, I have a source of whole grain. That would be your quinoa. I've got some protein there. That would be your yogurt or your tofu. I got fruit there and protein, carb, fruit. You've made yourself a really healthy breakfast. Um, there's a lot of things you can put on a quinoa bowl. You can add coconut flakes and dried fruit and maybe a couple of chocolate chips in there. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with quinoa for breakfast, so enjoy. Thank you for hosting this event. Learn so much. My question is how do you make sugar-free vegan cake? You know what? There is the best vegan dessert um, chef that belongs to Ruby and it is not me. So you want to check in with her and her classes. Uh, Sugar-free, I don't do sugar-free baking, uh, but I'm not a diabetic. I don't have a reason to. If you have a reason to be sugar-free, absolutely. And she can help you figure all that out. So that's a really good question. Thank you, Greg, for thanking me. Thank you for joining. Salt replacement maybe some sources for flavorful, low salt diets. Again, uh, the DASH diet was created. um, Well, the second reason it was created for low sodium, it was to bring down blood pressure. And what we thought was due to the salt was actually due to, we didn't have enough potassium in our diet. I know I'm going off on a tangent, I have to do this. So fruits and vegetables helps to bring down the, um, the blood pressure. And so then you don't have to increase rate of getting heart disease. And people that are have a heart issue are told to go on a low salt diet, and that's what the DASH diet's all about. So there's a lot of cookbooks and recipe books and sites out there about the DASH diet. And we, I had just spoken about how to add a lot more flavorful elements to your dish, so that you're not relying on low salt. Uh, you can have a robust diet and a, a very varied diet and not have to rely on salt to flavor it. Can I talk about the SOS free diet? Estella, what the heck is that? I always learn something new, Estella. I don't know what SOS, SOS help me, help me, help me, free diet. What could that be? I have no idea. Estella, I'm gonna have to look that up. Sugar, oil, salt, sugar, oil, salt. Yeah. Well, obviously I'm not the one to ask about that, but I will make sure someone gets back to you on that Estella. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. Um, thank you again, Craig, you keep thanking me. Oh no, that was before. Oh, here we go. All right. Doris. I love whole grains and veggies. Good for you, Doris. I'm looking to understand and increase variety flavor in my cooking. Do you think this class will focus on this? Absolutely Doris. It talks about variety. It gives you the culinary techniques to be able to be a master of flavor. You will learn how to increase flavor in so many different ways um, that you'll be able to. So I'm going to take a step back for a second. So you know that whole thing about teaching someone how to fish versus giving them a fish. This is what this is all about. I'm teaching you the basics of how to create flavor so that you can create flavor no matter what's in your kitchen or that you find at the grocery store that you learn these rules so that when you are cooking, you know how to make substitutes. That's why in this whole food coach Academy, I don't focus on providing you with a recipe because to me, I find that can, can be elitist. I'm asking you to go out, buy some things that you might not ever use again, as opposed to you saying, okay, to build a breakfast, you need a grain, you need a source of uh, protein and you need a fruit you choose based on your palate what you like what's in your fridge and what you can afford and you build your own so that's what this is really all about so yes doris i hope you join us i'd love to see you is there a prerequisite for taking courses on the food coach academy next year i'm a healthcare provider but not a nutritionist rd miranda i created this for you no there is no prerequisite besides graduating from high school i did this intentionally because there's a lot of us out there that are looking for either a new job or, um, and my whole thing about like culinary medicine is you don't have to be a doctor to do it. You don't have to be, have a higher degree to learn how to cook. We've been cooking for a million years. We've just lost the art of cooking. And so, no, you bring yourself, you bring your tongue and your courage and, and your ability to share with everybody what you're gonna make in the class so no, you don't have to be a nutritionist or an RD. Although you are all welcome, who are nutritionists and RDs. All right, Cynthia. <clears throat> you guys are gonna have to wait a second. I gotta get a sip of water. Hours, long no time. All right, Cynthia. Hmm. My intro information was wonderful. How very helpful, especially the one at a time at the end. For me, it enhanced taking the pressure off of being afraid of not doing it right. Oh, Cynthia, yay! No. It takes practice. The best chefs are the ones that fail the most, right? They are brave enough to try new things and just taking one step at a time. Holy moly. That's what what life is all about. And I say with nutrition, like a lot of people come to me and um, yes, I've worked with a lot of people with cancer in my career, not them, not them because they are They are in need right now of a change. But those of us who got to a place that we don't like, we might not like what we're eating. We may not like how we look or our weight or or that we have pre-diabetes or whatever it is. It took you a long time to get here. So let's, we have some time. We have some time to take one step at a time and support each other and learn what we like. Who knows? I mean, some of us know what we like, but we don't know what we don't know, right? I didn't know that I like star anise. And I certainly didn't know I like Brussels sprouts. So I went to Catcora's restaurant and I was like, oh my God, you had me at Brussels sprouts, right? There's just, we learn, we learn together. Okay, April, thank you so much. Eliminating salt, oil and sugar from your diet, not adding while cooking or to your plate. Okay, so I know that there are proponents out there that um, that go full turkey that way, and I I do not go that far. Um, some people need to go that far, and that's not for me to decide. So, if you are tips for being on an SOS diet would be to learn all the different other ways. So you're taking out the salt and the sugar out of the culinary techniques to improve, but there are other culinary techniques. There's the the, the spices, the way you cook food and how you play taste on taste to make an SOS diet um, more palatable for you. Rebecca, this is absolutely fascinating. I already have my gastro doc interested in what you are teaching, perhaps a future source of customers. I'm excited, thank you, Rebecca. Oh, I love it when a gastro doc gets involved because they're all about the gut. And what's in the gut? Food, food gastro docs, you need to be interested in food. All right, there's one other question here. When you make a dish and taste it and know it just needs something else, how do you determine what that something else is? Well, I know through doing this work that it's gonna be one of a couple of things. It's gonna be, I need to add some acid. Again, you know what? Um, I'm gonna mention it again. Nasrat's book, Sugar, Salt, Fat, Acid, right? So salt enhances the taste of food. So if I taste something and it's not salty and it just needs a little something, I will first add acid just to see how that brightens the dish. So that's either a little vinegar, flavored vinegar, some lemon juice, lime juice. When I started making, um, after I started learning all this new stuff, um, I started adding like lime juice to my chicken, broth. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I sounded like a chicken. Um, It was amazing. And if it's not acid, I'll add a little acid. If it's not acid, I will uh, maybe sprinkle some salt in that and see, does it need salt? Or is it just like needing something with texture? Is it missing texture? Because we can get, um, what do they call it? Flavor fatigue, right? When there's not enough difference in the flavors that we're eating. So maybe it's gonna require another ingredient. And again, it's testing it over time. Trust me though, if you're not already doing the acid and adding some salt without over try those two and you will learn how to tell yourself when it is that something is um, in need of the other. And Patrick added the salt, fat, acid, heat uh, link to the book. And I really hope that you join me in taste and flavor. It is a labor of love. Um, And I love working with my Ruby chefs. I mean, you've got professional chefs here, you've got culinary medicine docs, top RDs and motivational interviewing all came together to really change the health of this planet one tasty bite at a time. So thank you everybody.